Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know Employee Cycle. We're that HR dashboard company that's helping all of you HR and people leaders out there get rid of the time-consuming, manual, and tedious process of HR reporting. That's right. We know when you want to get a data-driven, comprehensive understanding of your workforce, you're typically pulling spreadsheets from a lot of different HR systems, trying to make it work, trying to make sense of the data, but you're always thinking there's a better way. Well, look no further because there is. Employee Cycle has built a pre-built dashboard for you with all these connectors to all these different systems so that you can pull in all your data from multiple HR software platforms to view all that data in one place to view, share, track, and analyze in one unified view. Go to EmployeeCycle.com, check us out. We'd love to give you a demo and help you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company because today we have a great repeat guest on the show. So please help me welcome back Katherine Johnson. She's the chief people and legal officer and also head of compliance. She's super busy, super important at storage. And today we're going to discuss how to create a DEI report. Katherine, welcome back to the podcast. Yay. Happy to be back. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be back here with you, Bruce. I really appreciate the invite back. Thank you. Not only did you spend some of your time once, but then you decided that you could stand the sound of my voice again (laughs) to come back on the show. I am so happy. I love it, especially when I get in an introduction like that. Oh, come on. Of course. (laughs) Back as much as you'll have me. (laughs) I always say for a very small fee, I can give you that introduction every time you walk into a room. All right. Every time. I like to know that. (laughs) All right. So, Catherine, for those that did not hear the first episode that you were on, can you please help us understand how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Sure, I will. Well, let me give you a little context first about where I'm at. So Storage, we are um, an Atlanta-based company, but we're remote first. And so we have team members all over the world. We're a company of about 70 people um, with team members in 15 different countries, which, you know, makes for an interesting uh, experience leading people ops. Um, And I certainly love having Employee Cycle to help me navigate through that you know, especially with the great metrics and reporting. So thank you for that, first and foremost. Um, but storage itself, so what we do is we provide secure, private, and affordable cloud storage for developers who are building applications or storing data in the cloud. So like Employee Cycle, storage was created to address real-world problems, um, you know, particularly around being able to get affordable storage. Um, So Sean Wilkinson, our founder, came up with the idea for storage when he was a student at Morehouse College and was looking for a way to just have affordable storage for the programs and apps he was developing. And it turns out that's hard to find. And the reason it's hard to find is because we have a very few players that are, you know, essentially have a monopoly on this market, AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud. Those are the big players who 
provide most of the the cloud storage. Um, and you know the issue here is that data is growing exponentially year over year. Unfortunately, it's not getting more affordable, um, and that's because, uh, in part, you know, the overhead that we have with large data centers uh, and storage um, was built in part to, you know, disrupt that, disrupt the industry, and, and provide a real viable alternative. Something notable about storage is that, uh, you know, because of how it how it grew and kind of the ethos that it's built on, it was important to have a company that reflected you know, reflected that as well. So we're an open source company, which means the code that, that runs the network, it's visible to everybody. So transparency is an, is an important part of who we are. Um, and so that's ultimately, um, you know, that's important to note, uh, you know, as we talk about the DEI report and, you know, what inspired us to, uh, you know, to, to write it. But going back to your, your question of how I ended up coming to storage. So I met Sean um, when I was working at Coinbase. I was running compliance management there and also was involved in starting the People of Color ERG. And one of the things we wanted to do was showcase successful Black founders. Um, and so Sean came to mind right away. We invited him out to San Francisco where he talked about, we did a fireside chat and he talked about storage. I was really impressed with it. And that night we went out to dinner. Uh, ben Golub, the CEO of Storage, joined us. Um, and, you know, the ERG and Sean and Ben, you know, had a lively conversation. I learned about storage. It sounded really interesting. I ended up joining the advisory board and worked with the team for about six months. Um, when I left Coinbase, Ben reached out to me and said, you know, hey, what are, what are you doing now? And while I planned to take a sabbatical to be with family, he, you know, he said, we're looking for a GC. And I really couldn't say no, um, because it's just, it's a fantastic team um, and, you know, really exciting company that I can really get behind, uh, you know, not just the, the product itself, but the, the ethos and the philosophy that, that really drives everything we do. Catherine, what an awesome story. Thank you for that background. And what an awesome win for storage to get someone like yourself to oh, manage you. such important parts of their business. And so before we go into how you created your 2020 DEI report, I first want to ask so that the audience understands what is the current size of your company from a headcount standpoint? Because I think that's so important in regards to why you did this. And when larger companies can't seem to figure this out, how you were able to do this at a much smaller scale. Sure. Yeah. So we are a company of about 70 people. We're, you know, we're rapidly growing. Um, so we were at around, I joined in September 2019. I think we were somewhere between 55 and 60 people at that point. Um, we're now at 70. And like I said, we've got people all over the globe. We are headquartered in Atlanta, but we have pockets of team members here in Minneapolis, in Salt Lake City, um, some in California, some in Austin, some in New York, but then also all over the globe. Um, New Zealand, Canada, the UK, Brazil, Ukraine. Um, you know, it's truly a, an international company, even though we're still a startup. So it's great that we get the, you know, the input from so many different team members from so many different backgrounds and perspectives. I think that that, you know, really helps us be innovative. And so, yeah, so, so 70 folks all over the world. Nice. So and, you recently, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add that we, um, 
you know, your your audience might be interested to know that our our international team members are hired through an employer of record. So we have a number of employers of record that we work with uh, to for our international hires. We have some contractors also, you know, around the globe, both in the U.S. and internationally. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, the U.S. team members. And one of the things that we do, as you know, like having a remote first company, it's important to still be able to, you know, have the glue that holds everything together and have those opportunities to connect one-on-one and in person. So pre-COVID, what we were doing was having several all-company weeks in person where everyone would come together. We're, you know, hoping to resume that by the end of this year. It's been virtual so far, but hoping to resume that again sometime this year, if all goes well. Nice. Thanks for thanks for providing that info. So you recently published your very comprehensive DEI report for 2020, which I enjoyed reading. And before we go into the details, I first want to understand, and I would like your help to provide the audience with some context around why did you do this in the first place? Sure. What, what, what was the rationale for creating such a comprehensive DEI report versus just looking at the metrics and then leaving it, leaving it at that? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the idea at first was driven just by the need to look at the metrics. Um, so we, I, I talked about this a little bit with you last time when I was on, when I was talking about the key initiatives in 2020. Um, so when I, when I joined in 2019, I tried to get a lay of the landscape, you know, what was happening in, in terms of diversity, what we were we doing well, and what were some areas that we, you know, wanted to put some work into. And so, you know, we asked everybody who was at um, the all company, you know, to answer two questions. And it's kind of exactly that, you know, what are we doing well? And what can we be doing better? Um, and then we took it, you know, we're a data driven company. So we took every single answer and we took all of the answers. We analyzed them um, and we saw, you know, what were the themes that were coming out of this? You know, what did the most people feel like were things we needed to work on? And we put that together into a roadmap for 2020. And it turns out that one of the top three things that people said, you know, we could do better is to, you know, to to watch our metrics more closely and to report on them. Um, and so that's really, that was the genesis of the DEI report. And that was also how I came to know you, Bruce, and Employee Cycle was because we were looking for a tool that would help us track our metrics better. Um, and so then once we started doing that, well, you know, we could have just stopped there and done a quick report. But the thing is, what what good is that? You really want the context. And this is, you know, for anyone who's getting ready to start a DEI report, I think this is this is important. You know, if you take the numbers out of context, they don't mean a whole lot. Um, I think it's important to look look at, you know, where have we been, where are we now, and where are we going, um, kind of continuously. And so, you know, this is intended to be an annual report. I don't think it will be this comprehensive every year, but since this is the first year we're doing this, we really wanted people to have a, a real view of where we are as a company and what we're doing. We didn't want this to be just some marketing gimmick. That doesn't, that's not what we're about. Um, and that's not what's helpful to anybody who wants to spend their time with that. You know, so as Ben says, Ben Golub, our CEO, in his, in his opening letter, we wanted to, you know, show the good, the bad, and the ugly and, uh, you know, be consistent with our own values of openness and transparency. And so to get the whole picture, we felt it was important to, you know, really share not just the numbers, but but give life to them. You know, what, what does that mean and what does that look like at storage? 
That's pretty interesting. So after you talk to your employees and realize that one of the things that you can be doing better, which a lot of employees would would value a lot, is to provide a lot more transparency. How did you start? And the reason why I'm asking this is when it comes to things that are very data-driven or very report-driven for a lot of HR leaders, it seems to be a huge intimidation factor there where how can I do this big thing? Am I going to need a lot of money? Am I going to need to hire contractors or consulting firms? Am I going to have to use a lot of resources and bandwidth of a lot of people on my team or other people inside the company, which I might not get approval for? So to talk about getting started and also in that same vein to get buy-in, what did that look like from the very beginning? That's a great question. Um, the buy-in itself was not difficult um, because of what I've already told you about the company um, that, you know, that we are so focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and it's not a separate thing. It's not a separate group. There's no, you know, head of DEI, you know, we are all of us at storage involved in the DEI efforts. So it's really already integrated. So, you know, I think you know, it's kind of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. It's, it's, I know it's challenging for folks to, uh, you know, who are in-house, who are in HR departments to get, get buy-in. Um, but, you know, having the report itself also <laughs> helps show people the need <laughs> for, you know, for this kind of thing. Um, so I was luckily was at a place where the buy-in is just already baked into the culture. If someone is not, what I would suggest is to the extent that you can, uh, you know, gather up some metrics to show where the problem is, you know, and share those metrics with senior leadership. I think that's a good starting point because, you know, the, the very basis of this is you can't fix what you can't see. Um, you know, so I think that there are a lot of folks out there at places um, who are struggling to get buy-in. And I would, I, I think that's probably a good starting point. There's one more thing I would note about that. And this is, this is kind of more about making career choices. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of people of color at at places that maybe don't value DEI as much as storage does. And it can be a really frustrating experience. Um, and I know a lot of people try to make decisions about their own careers, you know, whether they want to stay in a place or move on. And sometimes, you know, people feel like they should be there to, you know, lead the way. But also, you know, at this point in my career, I've, you know, practiced law for over 20 years, um, you know, and I've, I've worked in a lot of different environments. Um, I think that it's worth finding a place that cares about what, what matters to you. Um, and I do encourage people to, you know, look, if you're just banging your head against a wall someplace because you can't get that buy-in, it might not be the right place for you. So that's on, on buy-in. That's what I would have to say on, on that point. In terms of being intimidated, you know, this grew very organically, um, you know, with the exception of, you know, a, a contractor who we brought in just to help with, you know, some of the layout at the very end. Um, it was all done in-house um, and it was truly a collective joint effort. One of the, you know, one of the things that we did when we rolled out the, the 2020 roadmap was, you know, we emphasized the fact that what was coming out of that exercise in 2019 was what grew into the roadmap for 2020. So I think it's, you know, it's important to get creative in how you can make DEI efforts, you know, truly um, group efforts and, you know, something that everybody 
understands is, you know, for their own benefit, you know, regardless of who it is, our DEI efforts impact everyone, you know, mentoring is, you know, everyone is able to be a mentor and able to be in a mentoring pair and gets the benefit of that. That was one of the key initiatives. You know, our hiring practices, uh, that was another one of the key key initiatives. And, you know, what we did was we, we kind of analyzed our hiring process and said, uh, you know, what are the areas in our hiring process that might be vulnerable to unconscious bias? And what can we do about that? What can we put in place to address that? And that resulted in, you know, changes to our process that are documented in the hiring practices guide. I mean, you know, we may have some secret sauce, but I'm I'm not about keeping it secret. I want to share it. I want other people to be able to, you know, read this and take what they can from it, um, you know, and apply it. So if you, you know, if you look at Appendix B, that's the hiring practices guide, and it breaks down every every step of the process and says, here's what you can do to make your process more welcoming to people of all backgrounds. Um, so kind of a roundabout way of, you know, um, talking about the question of how this all came together. So it, it was really, uh, you know, the, the DEI Council meets every other week, um, you know, was kind of the glue to keep the process going and keep things moving forward. Um, but all of the bits and pieces came from it, from everybody. And most people in the company touched this um, and, and had some some part in this, whether it was reviewing it or if it was, you know, helping put together the processes that are documented here, you know, or if it was working with the metrics. So, and that's, I mean, that's the benefit that you get from being at a place that, that values diversity, honestly. When it comes to deciding how surface or granular any section should be, because when you're dealing with DEI, there's so many sections of diversity and equity and inclusion that you could cover. How did you make that decision around what was important enough to capture what is okay to leave off without offending anyone or making it seem like you don't necessarily care about that specific group or filter. I mean, there's so many ways you could have gone with this. How did you decide what was best for you while also being as inclusive as possible, not just with the metrics, but with all of the people that you work with so that everyone feels seen and heard through this DEI report? That's a great question. Um, and it also makes me think of, you know, some of the challenges that we face being a smaller company in reporting out the numbers because you also want to, you know, pr- protect privacy. But what what we did was really took a look at, you know, I mean, just, you know, almost like back of the envelope, um, you know, where did we start? What were we doing? You know, what what have we done recently? This is the 2020 report. So, you know, what were the efforts in, in 2020? All of them. You know, what were all of the DEI efforts? You know, and what were some other, uh, you know, things that were happening in the company that impacted DEI, even if they weren't uh, DEI efforts per se or weren't branded that way? You know, for example, we, you know, really fleshed out our onboarding uh, and orientation process last year. And what does that do? That helps people become, uh, to, be, to, to enter their work and their teams feeling more equipped and confident um, and feeling like they know the lay of the land. And what does that impact? That imp- impacts inclusion, you know, including, for example, setting up every new hire with the buddy who is the person they can go to and, you know, ask the question and not be afraid to ask the question, you know, and mentoring. So we took a holistic view. Um, like I said, this is, you know, it's comprehensive. 
it's, you know, about 50 pages, you know, as a PDF, um, you know, it's not all uh, content dense, however. Um, but we tried to give enough of a picture so that someone could read this and say, after reading it, I get this company, I get what they're doing, I get, I, I appreciate that they're looking for, you know, and acknowledging their own weaknesses and areas to grow. Um, I get a sense of what the culture, what the culture is like, because we talked about process and how, you know, co- collective that was, you know, how it in, involved the voices of everybody, literally every person in the company, you know, in terms of getting, getting these initiatives launched. Um, so we decided to make it more comprehensive, hopefully not boring, <laughs> um, but, you know, more comprehensive this, this time around, um, because we wanted to give that lay of the land also so that like the next uh, reports that come, they can be more focused on the numbers. And then we can only just, you know, highlight what the differences are. You know, we have, um, you know, we have a lot of confidence in, you know, in where this company is going. Um, and I think it's going to be really exciting to be able to have that kind of first, uh, you know, deep dive picture into where we started on this path. Uh, and then, you know, it's like reading a book, you know, then you just get the updates as, as you go, you know, or you get the what happens next, you get the next chapters. Um, so I, I, I am I am looking forward to that. And in terms of like really figuring out like how much detail to go into, that's going to be case by case basis for for every company it's going to be a little different obviously if we were a bigger company um you know i there you know there would be maybe be less detail just because there would be more to cover um one of the challenges as a smaller company however as i said especially when it comes to the metrics is that when you're a smaller company you know you want to provide the most accurate picture possible um, but you're dealing with some challenges, you know, for example, um, you know, we will never, ever um, assume anyone's race, gender identity, etc. You know, as a biracial black woman, that's particularly important to me, um, because I've, I've been mislabeled by others and put into boxes that where I didn't belong. Um, so it's all on a voluntary basis, you know, and not everybody wants to share that information. So, you know, that's a, a data issue that, that we have. And what we do with that is we just try to be as clear as possible in providing the context. And, you know, one of the things that we report on is how many people responded so that you've got a, you know, a, a good, a good sense of that as well. Got it. And then Catherine, one last question. Was there anything that you learned that was super surprising that you were a little shocked to learn during this process? And for the next time you do this, what do you plan on doing differently? Mm, Great questions. Um, I can't say that there was anything really that that shocked me. Um, I thought it was interesting to take a look at some of, you know, some of the different data points we had and to struggle a little bit with, you know, what do we, what do we look at? For example, we look at, um, you know, we look at leadership. Well, who defines leadership? What does that mean? Um, you know, and having to talk, talk with others and make decisions about those and, you know, work with the DEI council. We struggled through, you know, had a number of sessions just talking about or struggling through what data are we going to provide in this metrics report? What matters? 
you know, and, and what are we comfortable providing in a way that still protects the privacy of, of our team members, because we are a smaller group, um, you know, and the, and the, when the information is provided through our HRIS, it's, it's all voluntary and it's also very carefully protected. You know, only administrators have access to that. Managers don't have access to that call. You know, coworkers don't have access to that. So, you know, how do we honor, uh, you know, everyone's right to privacy here and at the same time be transparent? So that was an interesting thing to kind of to work through. Um, the other thing that was that I thought was, a, I guess, a surprise, not so much a shock, is that we were in the very late stages um, getting ready to publish it. And one of the things that we looked at was people in technical roles. And, you know, sometimes when you're, you know, reading or talking to people or hearing things and there's something that sticks in your head and you don't really know why and you can't maybe quite articulate it, pay attention to that. Because it had always something about that term had always kind of just not, it didn't quite sit right with me. And I, I didn't really know why. And I happened upon an article right as we were, you know, going through final edits where a person was talking about that term and why it's off-putting and how it can be, you know, honestly used to exclude people. Um, and so we changed that language and ended up talking about people in engineering roles. We were more specific, which is, you know, almost always better. Um, to be more specific, honestly, it's, you know, more accurate, really more precise. Um, and so we ended up using, uh, you know, looking at that for the engineers, you know, what is the gender breakdown? You know, what is the racial ethnic makeup of our engineering team, as opposed to people, you know, people with technical backgrounds or even worse, technical people. We're all, you know, technical in some, in some way, shape or form and use technical skills, whether you're in people ops or, or engineering. So that was something that was, you know, an, an interesting little twist at the end as we were getting ready to go to print. Got it. Well, Catherine, this has been such an awesome podcast interview. Really appreciate you coming here and letting all of your HR and people ops peers know that although this is a process and it does take time and it takes strategy and the concerted effort, it's not impossible. And even with a team under a hundred employees, you can still pull together and promote publicly a comprehensive DEI report that not only makes your company better, but also sheds some light in regards to how and why DEI should be as important and mission critical as possible to all companies. So thank you so much for gracing our podcast for a second time and being even more awesome than the first. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yay, yay, Bruce. Yay, Employee Cycle. Thank you so much. Absolutely love talking to you and talking about this important topic and just really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. So Catherine, where can people find you storage, and your DEI report online. Yes, at our website, which is storage, S-T-O-R-J dot I-O slash D-E-I, backslash D-E-I. Awesome, and we'll be sure to include all that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as Catherine and I did making it, then please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. And also, if you have something interesting to say about DEI, please leave it in the comments. Also, if this is your very first time listening to our podcast and you came here because you're either already a huge super fan of Catherine and you just had to hear what she was going to say, or you're really interested in DEI and HR in general, 
but now you're hungry for more episodes, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.